Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup, and every week we discuss issues including gender. Now we're talking about missing Indigenous women and why they haven't gotten the resources and media coverage given to Gabby Petito. She's the white woman found dead after her fiancé returned home from their road trip without her. The Petito case has gotten wall-to-wall coverage by the media and online. The cross-country journey documented on social media turned into a cross-country virtual search party. The question was, where was Gabby Petito? There was robust involvement from law enforcement and anguished interviews with friends and family. Gabby was a bright soul, a bright light. I am numb right now. I am numb and I am angry. But advocates for other vanished people, while stressing their sympathy for Petito's family, noted. There are Gabby Petitos and the black and brown community, and these families are desperate just to get their cases heard. Jolene Holgate of the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women tells me the difference did not feel good. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. of it really had to do with how um, I think even being framed by media, uh, media sustains and enables this uh, picture of Indigenous folks that uh, it's hard to put it into words right now, but I think it, it perpetuates this, this feeling of the lack of worthiness that's framed by media and it enables and sustains and prolongs um, these types of violent tendencies towards Native people. Um, I think the media, when reporting on missing and murdered Indigenous persons, often engage sometimes in racism or misogyny, knowingly or unknowingly, um, including references to like drugs, alcohol, sex work, gang violence, or some type of victim criminal history, um, which ultimately at times makes excuses for the perpetrator or actively misgendering, you know, transgender victims. Um, So it's really important that when we think about these cases, especially this movement being alive since the 70s, um, even beyond that, um, I think media really needs to think about how they're causing additional harm uh, to these marginalized communities. Um, So, and I think that's why it didn't feel good. We... I feel like it's not a lack of resources on the parts of law enforcement or the system itself. I mean, in Gabby's case, they're using all sorts of resources. Um, But at any rate, um, that doesn't make us feel good as Indigenous communities, because a lot of the times we have relatives who are out there being their own searchers. They become their own advocates. 
Um, we even have communities where we're developing uh, missing and murdered toolkits just to support one another. Although we understand law enforcement and the system are there to try to remedy some of these issues, it's gotten to a point where community is responding. We're coming together. We're doing it through community organizing, through social media, creating toolkits and sharing knowledge with one another so that we're all actively able to do something that would support the families going through these um, these types of cases. I'm going to come back to social media in a second, but first let me ask, because Indigenous women and people and Black people and Latina people who vanish, a lot of the advocacy groups are basically saying that this is just straight up racism by the media and by law enforcement who doesn't, who don't put in the same level of time for such people as they do for white women. Do you think it is racism? I feel like it is because I think they paint this narrative of unworthiness of, you know, persons of color communities. Violence is sensationalized in our communities. It perpetuates these stereotypes that reservations or inner cities are violent and destitute places, um, which is not to say that violence doesn't happen in these areas, you know, a lot having to do with historical and intergenerational trauma. But contrary to those stereotypes, you know, the reality is, is that um, these communities of colors are often places of refuge from violence um, from either urban communities or even from reservation communities. And um, knowing that the majority of Indigenous people do currently live in urban environments and cities and knowing that data shows violence upon Indigenous people, as well as our Black relatives, um, as primarily interracial, uh, a lot of the time the perpetrators are white. Um, We can understand that living under extreme conditions of white supremacy, this lack of immediate attention on thousands and thousands of missing and murdered Black and Indigenous people Um, is justified just under the idea of protecting white perpetrators, only seeing white bodies as worthy victims. So I think what also plays into that, um, of course, is systemic racism. Uh, Systemic racism has two parts to it. It's institutional um, and it's structural. Uh, Structures put in place, you know, when the you know, so-called forefathers started to create the government as we know it now, did not create these systems to benefit Black or Indigenous people. Um, And then when we're thinking about institutional, the policies that were created also were a means to control Black and Brown bodies. Um, These were policies done through Jim Crow laws, um, the Indian removal era, Um, assimilative tactics and boarding schools, doing anything that they can, utilizing the means of the system as we know it, um, to perpetuate this racist system. So when we are thinking about how we respond to MMIW cases in Native communities, it really has a lot to do with systemic change. Is that realistic? We don't know because we haven't seen it. Um, Task forces are being created, uh, which gives us some hope, right? But also it's important for us to be very critical of 
what it is that they're offering. Um, what are the exact action that's going to take place to support the communities, to support the families? So all that to say, um, I think it's really important for folks to understand those root causes of violence that are taking place against Black and Indigenous people. A lot of times folks may think it, you know, has to do with um, the socioeconomic issues of the area or families having victim mentality. And it's not. These are things that were put in place that we're continuing to struggle and fight against. I just also want to say that um, the loss of a relative to homicide is one of the most difficult things to experience. And we send our love and our prayers to Gabby's family. Um, We're happy that they're able to get closure. We're happy that um, there's active law enforcement taking those necessary steps to bring justice for this family. And I think all we're asking for is the same thing. We want that same energy. We want access to those same types of um, opportunities that will give closure to families, that will bring justice to families. Let me ask you about social media, because I've seen on several outlets during the coverage of this latest horrible incident that the argument is that uh, Gabby Petito was active on social media and it became a whole true crime thing. So you had people on TikTok saying things, you had people on all social media, and they are suggesting that that is why this case has gotten the coverage it's gotten and the resources that it's gotten and not because she is a white woman. What do you think about that? I would have to say I don't agree with that. Um, The missing and murdered Indigenous persons movement has been something that's been active for decades. And only recently were we able to utilize social media as a means to get our um, voices heard. There's a huge following. And I understand Gabby had a huge following, um, living a lifestyle that was um, very interesting, uh, very fulfilling, and, you know, happy that she was able to go down that path. But the truth of the matter is, this movement, and I say movement because it's not just one person, is recognized in our communities. It's recognized by our federal um, agencies. It's recognized by state agencies. It's recognized by tribal agencies. The folks who have the power to put resources to a lot of these issues. In the area that Gabby Petito went missing in, there was recorded in the last decade, over 710 missing and murdered cases. So I don't think it's about comparing the following and the influence they may have had on social media. Um, It just really has a lot to do with ignoring the voices of um, folks who've been talking about this. I mean, we've had, or we have organizations dedicated to advocating for missing and murdered. Um, one that's very prominent, Sovereign Bodies Institute, which was a community grassroots group that got great national attention for creating one of the first MMIW databases in the United States. Wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you, what's MMIW for the listeners do who don't know? Oh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. It's interchangeable. There's MMIP, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons, because we do acknowledge that this also affects our male relatives, our transgender relatives, and our two-spirit relatives. Um, Let me ask you, walk me through some of the 
some of the cases that you are talking about in Wyoming in particular? I, I believe one of them is Pepita Redhair. Um, Pepita Redhair actually is a relative that's missing here in Albuquerque. Pepita was, I believe, within the vicinity, vicinity of the city, um, did not was not returning calls to family, and the family ultimately filed missing a missing persons report. So um, at this point, it's basically a cold case. Um, but in many instances, folks knew that Pepita may have had a, um, a violent partner. And that partner right now hasn't said much. Uh, and these are like stories and information that families know. But if it's not something concrete, it's not anything that law enforcement would take um, into consideration because they need concrete proof. And this happens a lot in, in several cases. Um, just also want to say that the organizing at the community level has been amazing. There's going to be a rally for Pepita on October 3rd um, here in Albuquerque at Tigway Park at one o'clock. So that's one case um, that really stands out. Um, another case is Ella May, uh, who went missing near the Sweetwater, Arizona, uh, Shiprock, New Mexico area uh, area. Um, She was abducted, um, as far as we know, um, and she's an elder. She's, I I believe, uh, up there in her years and just vanished. So we have her daughter, uh, I'm sorry, her niece, Seraphine Warren, who's been coordinating um, walks to raise awareness for this case, which kind of brings like another point where another social media influencer somehow garnered a lot of support, but we don't get that same support when we're trying to raise raise awareness. I believe his name was Bear Sun. It's a guy who dresses in a bear suit and he's walking across the United States for some other important issues as well. Um, But he's also non-Indigenous and he also has a huge following. Um, But what's the difference? Um, this was someone's life. This was someone's mom. This was someone's auntie. And we just want that same energy. One last question, Jolene. I have seen there have been some stories in the media about missing people of color and the, you know, disappointment, I I will call it. I know there are stronger words, but I'll say disappointment among some communities that they have not been getting the same resources. Do you think interviews like this one are going to help or is it just going to go right back into the background when all of this is over? I'm always hopeful. I'm a hopeful person. I truly hope that the momentum we have now will continue um, for many years. And I think if we continue to get the assistance from media, especially who have that power to highlight a lot of these cases um, is really going to help. I was on TikTok the other day and I saw a, a Dateline account and they were highlighting quite a bit of indigenous cases on their TikTok, along with other relatives throughout the U.S. who are missing. And it was almost every TikTok. And that felt so good. Like, I felt like we like feel visible when we see that these major media outlets putting these cases out there. And 
that's what we're needing. Someone knows something, someone could have some information and is the momentum going to stop? No. Um, Will attention stop? Maybe it could slow down. That generally does happen. But I think it's just important that those of us who are in this work and folks who are learning about this work uh, continue to educate themselves and continue to reach out to amazing organizations and support the organizations that are actively doing this work, such as the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women here in uh, New Mexico, MMIW, who is missing, who is out of Utah, missing and murdered Diné relatives um, out of Arizona. Um, and there's just so many amazing organizations that are trying to address this um, crisis in the best way that they can. So continue to, to educate yourselves and, and support these very important organizations. Um, MMIP is a complex issue, and it's going to require complex and ethical solutions. Um, of course, there's not one strategy that will solve everything because it is very much multi-layered. Um, and it's rooted in community, and it should also be victim-centered um, for our relatives who are organizing and for folks who are, are learning more about these issues. That was Jolene Holgate at the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come on back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Monday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.